Welcome to the Bluegrass Podcast. Today we're talking with C.J. Carter, State Director of the Kentucky Chapter of Minorities for Medical Cannabis, owner of Canamercial Realty Group, and a member of the Kentucky Hemp Association's Board of Directors. We're talking cannabis in Kentucky, recent progress on Senate Bill 47, C.J.'s journey as a medical patient, social equity programs, and more. Let's get started. So do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and talk about your own personal journey with cannabis? I think that you have a special connection to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, ironically, um, just a, a, a quick story. Um, my first time smoking um, cannabis was at my eighth grade graduation party. Um, it was a going away party for me and also a graduation party. Actually, I uh, lived in Frankfort, Kentucky at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, fast forward uh, to 2015 was when I was first introduced to the cannabis space um, through my my brother who had started uh, the Comfy Tree Academy, um, which was a licensing boot camp um, that traveled across the uh, country, um, helping individuals enter the cannabis space. Um, through that time, of course, I was married, um, but uh, my ex-wife hated the fact that I smoked. Um, so it was two weeks uh, prior to Father's Day weekend, summer of 2018, I had quit smoking uh, cold turkey. Um, and um, we were on vacation at Great Wolf Lodge uh, in Cincinnati. Um, and I just remember it was like six in the morning. Um, I remember waking up with like three guys in my face. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. I was really like discombobulated. So I started fighting with these guys because I thought... Um, somebody had broken into our hotel room, um, and it was finally when my, my ex-wife, she let me know that I had a seizure. Um, it was the first seizure of my life, um, as I said, ironically, after I had quit smoking cold turkey. Um, then a couple of weeks after that, I had another seizure, um, then another seizure, then another seizure. And then after the fifth seizure is when they, uh, they diagnosed me with uh, temporal lobe epilepsy. So the, the temporal lobe of my brain, um, you know, it controls your memory and your speech. Um, so uh, my memory is not the best. And, and sometimes my speech uh, becomes a little slurred. or I lose train of thought, you know, like mid-sentence um, um, sometimes. But, um, yeah, that uh, diagnosis of epilepsy kind of changed everything for me uh, in terms of my cannabis journey. Um, because it was just a business at first. But then uh, once I was diagnosed... Um, you know, I found out that this is really my medicine. Um, after uh, the MRI that I had um, later that year in 2018, they found that I had a, um, a cavernoma um, behind my left eye, which looks like a cave um, on the MRI. So it's like a dark spot um, in my brain where they think that the, uh, the seizures actually originate from. Um, so uh, I still have to get an MRI. The next one that I have scheduled, uh, they want to monitor to see if it's grown at all. Um, the cavernoma, and if it asks, if it has, um, they're going to want to do brain surgery, which is, you know, something I'm very, very apprehensive about. Um, so, you know, in the cannabis right now, this is a, um, it's a very brand new industry, you know, it's a brand new marketplace that's about to open. So um, with my diagnosis, you know, in the cannabis space, you know, where I am an advocate um, and a patient, um, you know, I've established a, a few business fronts as well. Um, in terms of, you know, offering uh, myself and my family, you know, I have two boys um, from my, my marriage. 
of a seven and a, a three-year-old. And unfortunately, you know, since I have a pre-existing condition, I'm unable to get any more life insurance. Um, so I view, you know, my journey in the cannabis space as a means of me providing for my two boys, um, you know, through my, my entrepreneurial pursuits. Um, so, you know, life insurance isn't, isn't a route for me, but succeeding in the cannabis space, you know, is. It's something, you know, that I'm, I'm very determined in doing is, you know, succeeding in, in the ventures that I have set up. So currently that's where I am in my, my cannabis journey. Um, it's been a long one, I guess, since my eighth grade graduation party uh, to where I am today. Absolutely. And this might be a little too personal and let me know if it is, but do you think that using cannabis before you got your diagnosis maybe pushed off having a seizure or showing symptoms of what was already developing? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a doctor or anything, but, um, you know, I, I said this to my doctor, you know, uh, based off of the size uh, of the, the cavernome in my brain, you know, it's not small. Um, and it's been there for a while based off of the size of it. Um, and, you know, I played sports growing up. I played football. Um, you know, I was really good at football and had a, quite a few concussions and head injuries. Um, but it does seem as if I was medicating myself, you know, from my, my personal experience and, you know, the firsthand knowledge that I do have, um, you know, smoking majority of my life. And then, you know, all of a sudden when I stop. You know, then the seizures emerge, you know, from this spot in my brain that's been there for quite some time. So that's the the one thing, the unfortunate thing about uh, epilepsy, especially epilepsy with black men. Like there is currently no research whatsoever. Um, I've tried to search for clinical research associated with, you know, individuals who have epilepsy. Um, and when it comes to men, there's hardly any. Um, and when it comes to black men, there's none. Um, so, you know, that's my own case study from my perspective. It does seem as if I, I was medicating myself, um, you know, throughout my life up until the, the point where I quit cold turkey. And then that's when the, the setbacks started to happen. And if you want to talk about your own projects a little bit, uh, I believe that one of those involves real estate and locations for cannabis. Yes. Yes. So, uh, being that I've been in the, 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 cannabis space um, for several years now, um, it's very apparent that one of the, the most um, important uh, entry points into the cannabis space is having properly zoned real estate. Um, so that's a huge void uh, that needs to be filled within the cannabis space. And that's one thing that, you know, I tell a lot of people who have, uh, you know, questions and who want me to consult them, you know, on their cannabis businesses is that, you know, the cannabis space is filled with voids. And if you have an idea or an entrepreneurial pursuit, you can actually fill those voids, you know, being that this is a, a industry that's in its infancy. Um, so I identified uh, that void, you know, being that Kentucky, we're about to be a brand new market. Um, so we haven't quite opened yet, uh, but it's not a matter of if, it's when. Um, so I've established myself as an ind uh, industry professional when it comes to real estate. Um, and my job is to, you know, assist individuals and businesses, you know, through the leasing, uh, the management and the sales of property. Um, so I advise, you know, clients you know, on their best courses of action when deciding on how to invest or how to improve um, real property, you know, of a commercial asset. That's set. And that's where I've built and I've established the Canamercial Realty Group. 
um, which, I, as I said, it encompasses all aspects of sales, leasing, investment in, the improvement of uh, retail property, um, investment property, farmland, uh, businesses, um, industries, um, uh, medical facilities, and, you know, a dozen other property types. You know, so it's it's the, the business where I see that's something that's going to be really needed um, in terms of, you know, providing that uh, substantial analytical data. Um, along with financial information and market demographics that are really going to determine the type of marketplace that we have here in Kentucky. Um, it's it's something that um, it's, it, it has offered me a lot of teachable moments in, in learning the real nuances um, of the, the cannabis industry um, as it relates um, to real estate. Um, because outside of real estate, another important thing, of course, is capital. Um, but capital goes, you know, right in hand um, with the real estate because it's kind of all inclusive um, when you're trying to establish, you know, say a dispensary, uh, a cultivation um, facility um, or manufacturing, you know, testing, um, whatever the case may be. Um, I've placed myself in a position to um, work directly with, you know, industry leaders, with uh, community leaders, um, government officials, um, lawyers, um, zoning boards. Um, who else? Um, accountants, um, mortgage companies, banks, title companies, um, appraisers. This is uh, uncharted territory um, as it relates to uh, real estate. It's something that, as I said, I I'm creating this, you know, from from the rubble, um, or so to speak, or from a, a bare landscape, you know, building building something that I see is going to be viable. Um, it's going to allow me to be sustainable in the cannabis space. Um, that's one of the things that often happens, you know, when people have a, a entrepreneurial pursuit and they enter, you know, a cannabis space or enter the cannabis space. Um, it's very difficult um, in trying to, you know, find success because there are so many um, deterrents and there's so many undeterminable factors um, that occur in, in the cannabis space being, you know, that is still federally illegal. Um, and here in the state of Kentucky being that we haven't even legalized yet. Um, so, just like in any other uh, business venture, um, one of the most important things is is position. Um, you know, it's just like the game of chess. It's all in how you position yourself. And like you're talking about with different challenges, especially with cannabis, there really is a demand for people who can give good advice, even with things like retail space, understanding how close you can be to other businesses, schools, residential areas. No, there's definitely a demand. Do you have any area that you enjoy more than the others, like uh, farms or maybe dispensaries or law offices or anything that you've just found you gravitate more towards? Oh, uh, well, pretty much anything dealing with real estate, you know, has, you know, been somewhere that that I have an interest in, um, whether that is farmland, um, you know, and talking to farmers. Um, who have vacant land or whether it's visiting, you know, industrial parks in, in different cities um, here in the state, you know, mainly here in Louisville um, and in Lexington, um, old industrial, you know, warehouses that have been sitting vacant and have been on the, the market for, you know, thousands of days. Um, there are quite a few uh, properties, you know, listed on the, the MLS services that have been, you know, on the market for quite some time where these um property owners or landowners or whatever the case may be, they're unable to move. Um, and, you know, that's where, you know, I come in. But um, I would say like a retail space, 
um, seems like that's the the most uh, or has the highest supply of vacant um, retail space. Um, that's where you, you'll see a, a lot of openings um, as it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, commercial real estate. Um, and that's the the, the one uh, part of the supply chain that everybody's familiar with. You know, and me coming in contact with people, that's one of the things that they always uh, talk about is, you know, I want to be a dispensary owner or I want to own a dispensary. <laughs> what people don't realize is, you know, that space uh, in the supply chain is going to be one of the most competitive um, because everybody wants to have a dispensary. Um, everybody wants to, you know, have that retail location that's, you know, looks like an Apple store, but you know, they disperse weed or they mm-hmm. sell sell cannabis. But um, definitely on, on the the retail spot uh, spot of the supply chain, pretty much anywhere in the supply chain, you know, has a is an interest to me, um, because at the end of the day, you know, I view myself as a you know a real estate consultant. Um, a cannabis real estate consultant, you know, where I am assisting, you know, sellers, you know, buyers, landlords and tenants, you know, in the cannabis space. You know, as I said earlier, this is it's very young. You know, it's it's very in flux and it's inherently risky. You know, it being in this business, you know, it's all about doing the legwork um, and getting the the proper deal completed. You know, and it's my goal to be able to maximize the value of a property and then also reduce the amount of time wasted um, in obtaining an offer and an acceptance, you know, in a, a new a new lane, you know, which is cannabis real estate. You know, I believe um, I'm one of the only um, agents in the state who has a or who considers this to be their niche. Like this is my niche um, in real estate, in commercial real estate is to, as I said, assist anyone who's interested in entering the space um, and feeling, um, you know, what it is that they see as in terms of their vision of being involved in the cannabis space. You know, I see myself as being as being an assistant um, to helping people's uh, cannabis dreams come true. And how do you see things changing? Because like we're talking about with real estate right now, especially in Kentucky, there are certain regulations and certain standards that you have to have because a lot of people are entering just with CBD. How do you see things changing as Kentucky gets into the more regulated cannabis space possibly, or like with other states when things get more restrictive on the types of property you have to have? Being that Kentucky is about to be a new market, there is going to be uh, somewhat of a, a premium or what they call the, the green tax um, associated with uh, real estate properties. Um, oftentimes how it happens is when people hear the word cannabis, they automatically um, add a, a tax to it, um, being that they know this is something, you know, where a proper uh, where a property owner or a landowner can possibly, you know, raise their rents or raise the actual price. Um, that's something that's definitely um, going to happen. Um, so what tends to happen is once markets um, tend to uh, stabilize or who've had um, legalization for quite some time, uh, that green tax often diminishes um, because the supply and demand actually change. Um, so that's one of the things about Kentucky is um, as it stands right now, uh, there is a supply, um, but it's few um, and far between in terms of the, the properties actually being zoned correctly um, based on how, how it's written in current legislation. Um, but that is going to change uh, once the demand increases. And that's where we're going to see uh, that that price increase. 
um, as it, it comes more and more once we reach legalization and once we reach maturity um, in the space, you know, it's going to be those extreme highs and those extreme lows that you see in any marketplace um, when it first opens up. Um, another thing that that I can see changing is um, traditional lending practices um, currently, as it stands, like in other states, um, financial institutions tend to not um lend to cannabis businesses being that there's still um prohibition um there's still it's still federally illegal so that leaves cannabis businesses you know in a in a tough spot um because you know it, it is an all cash business at this time and then also um when it comes to the real estate tax code that the the 280e you know, it's a federal or tax code that prevents plant touching businesses from deducting, you know, standard business expenses. Um, and it's something that that hinders uh, the cannabis space, you know, right now as we speak. So there's a lot of factors that go into what's going to happen and what's going to change here in Kentucky um, because the the legislator um, is inefficient <laughs> i'll say it in, in the nicest way that i can <laughs> <laughs> to say the <laughs> least right <laughs> these guys you know a lot of them claim to have never touched the plant or have uh never smoked the plant and then that's where i come in and say um well if you guys have no experience with the plant how do you expect to set up a marketplace or how do you expect to set up a, a cannabis industry here in the state of kentucky that's going to that's going to thrive and that's going to stand the test of time. You know, my answer to that question is that they don't. I mean, they honestly do not know what they're doing. Um, and it's as clear as day that they don't because they they go around asking, you know, these, these questions that have nothing to do um, with the actual bottom line where, you know, it puts um, the state and the residents, you know, of this Commonwealth, you know, in, in a tough position. Um, because, you know, once cannabis does become legal, there are so many benefits that are going to be associated with, you know, opening up the market for this plant, you know, that comes from Mother Earth, you know, that comes from a seed, you know, it'll be able to provide us with so many fruits um, here in the state where the legislators, it's just like it's all lost in translation. Um, they, they don't hear, you know, the 90 percent of Kentuckians who support um, cannabis. It's like um, you guys are supposed to be, you know, working for the constituents, but it's clear that you're not um, because, you know, a lot of the, the legislators, you know, they're working off of, you know, their interest and special interest um, that back a lot of them um, when it comes to, you know, politics being ran by money. And, you know, those monies and those profits are often, you know, over people, um, unfortunately. I absolutely love that you're talking about how legislators are trying to regulate, but they say that they have no experience with the plant whatsoever. I just I think about that constantly because like yourself with someone with cannabis experience, it changes the way that you look at the industry and you look at the way that things need to be regulated. Experience just changes how you understand it. Exactly. Exactly. And we were supposed to have that hearing today. I'm, I'm upset that we didn't have it either. Um, you know, I know I had plans on testifying if they had the sign up sheet available. I was definitely going to um, share a few uh, a few words uh, with the Senate 
uh, licensing and, and occupation committee, because, you know, that's one of the things that the legislators, they always talk about is, you know, economic growth and, you know, workforce development. Um, well, here we are, you know, at the precipice of the opening of a multi-billion dollar industry in mm-hmm. the best world to cultivate and harvest and manufacture cannabis. You know, this is, you know, I call Kentucky the fertile crescent of cannabis. This is the best place in the world for cannabis to be grown. And it's like we have this unique opportunity here in Kentucky and the legislators are literally dropping the ball. Um, you know, even though we're, we're one of the last states to legalize, like really, you know, I, I can still see the benefit, you know, in this situation being that we can see, you know, the failures of other states on where they have failed in terms of their legalization. We should be using, you know, what other states have failed at to create our blueprint here in the state of Kentucky. Um, and it, it is, as I said, a unique opportunity that the legislators are dropping the ball on. I mean, we could be at the forefront, you know, of this multi-billion dollar industry, but yet we're still lagging behind um, because of the the inefficiencies and the inadequacies, you know, of our legislators who, I don't know what they're actually thinking. Um, I sense a lot of them in, in my dealings and in my talkings, you know, with the legislators um, that I have relationships with um, and the ones that I don't, it seems that the ones who don't are often basing everything off of what they believe um, and what they feel rather than basing things off what they know. Um, Because, you know, I come from the the train of thought when you believe you don't know. So you have to know in order to do more than just believe. And then you have to apply what you know, then that then becomes wisdom. And that's kind of what I see is missing in politics is there's uh, uh, things are based on, you know, how things make people feel or based off of what people believe, which could be, you know, could be false. You know, it, it could it could be the furthest from the truth that it is. But since you believe in it and, you know, it, it, it sets up a comfort zone for you, um, you know, that often happens, you know, especially here in the cannabis space at the detriment, you know, of patients, you know, of citizens you know, of individuals who are looking, you know, for work or who are looking to start businesses. Um, You know, it's hurting all parties involved um, due to the legislator and their inability to actually, you know, push this measure through um, in terms of legalizing uh, medical marijuana, in terms of legalizing recreational marijuana, um, in terms of, you know, setting up a stronger foundation for hemp. Um, in terms of us actually setting up a cannabis commission um, where the actual cannabis plant can be housed, you know, in one department under, say, the Department of Agriculture. You know, all of the things that I'm saying, it makes the most sense. But as I said earlier, you know, when when dealing with with uh, politics and politicians, logic is non-existent, unfortunately. I love everything you're talking about. So my next question is, when are you running? Because this is the sort of voice that we need for cannabis in the legislature. Well, uh, it's it's interesting that you that you asked that because a lot of people, you know, ask me that question. Um, um, and point blank, period. You know, I'm a black man in America. Um, politics has never done anything for me, so I've been disassociated for politics from politics for a majority of my life, but. Uh, I once read a, a quote um, was years ago that said, even though you don't have an interest in politics, doesn't mean that politics has an interest in you. Um, and it definitely seems that that politics has an interest in me. But, 
you know, at this stage of my life, you know, I, I don't see myself being involved uh, in politics except for the, you know, the the avenue that I have now in terms of, you know, advocating um, for the plant. You know, politics, um, it can, it's it's a lot. It takes a lot. And, you know, I can see what, what politicians go through um, and the frustrations associated um, with politics. But, you know, at this stage of my life, it's something that, that I can't see happening. Um, I have a seven and a three-year-old. So um, that's one of my my main focuses right now is is being the best father and being the best dad um, that I can possibly be to my two boys. Um, so I can't have something, you know, come in between um, me and my two sons, you know, at this stage of my life, just because, you know, that's something that's so valuable to me. It's something that I, I can't squander. I can't give, give up that value right now. But that's not to say that I, I wouldn't uh, run for politics. Uh, but yeah, just at this stage of my life, you know, I'm I'm coming from a uh, coming from a point, you know, I'm recently divorced. So um, um, in my divorce, being you know that I have two boys, I gave up everything for my sons. You know, I lost a substantial amount of money um, in my divorce, where you know it actually it put me um, below the negative. Um, so you know that's where my my real focus is right now on my two boys and on building you know, myself up, you know, and reestablishing my legacy um, because, you know, I'm coming from a deficit right now and, you know, getting involved with politics, you know, that's going to put a lot more on my plate um, as of now. But, you know, I don't mind, you know, being a consultant to people, um, you know, when people have questions, you know, by all means, you know, I'll, I'll answer those questions, you know, to the best of my ability um, and the, the knowledge that, you know, I've obtained over the years, you know, in the cannabis space. But, I won't say I'm not going to run for politics. I just prefer being a consultant right now. <laughs> I completely understand that. I'll say the more you talk, though, the more I want you to run. But you're not <laughs> completely separated from politics either. You're director of the Kentucky chapter of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. And you're also a board director for the Kentucky Hemp Association, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, those are our pursuits, you know, being involved in the nonprofit space, you know, where... You know, cannabis is a passion of mine and, you know, I don't mind, you know, giving back to cannabis. And, you know, I do that by serving as the the, the state director for minorities for medical marijuana and also by being on the, the board of directors for the Kentucky Hemp Association. Um, you know, I have a, a vision for Kentucky, you know, when it comes to cannabis and much like software is to California, I can see cannabis being that for Kentucky. Um, I can see us being you know, the the epicenter of a international marketplace, you know, when it comes to cannabis, everybody has their eyes on Kentucky to see what it is that we're going to do um, here in the state. I had a, um, a call a, uh, a couple of weeks ago from a, um, a international company in the Netherlands who um, has is supplying medical grade cannabis to the European Union right now um, for uh, medicinal purposes. Um, and here the FDA just recently, you know, opened up or, or gave out some guidelines for clinical research. So they've actually reached out to me, this company um, overseas and was asking questions, you know, about Kentucky. It's like, what's the forecast? What's it look like? Um, how do you see, you know, Kentucky? You know, when do you see Kentucky coming on board for um, for medical marijuana? Because they're actually thinking about coming here and setting up shop here in Kentucky. So, you know. 
there's a lot that that goes um, into into all of this. But me being, you know, in those positions, you know, in the nonprofit realm, you know, that's my way of actually giving back. Um, you know, I like to to pay things forward, and you know, this isn't a uh, individual pursuit for me. You know, I I am a very selfless person. You know, I view myself as a catalyst, or I view myself as the spark. You know, that's going to set a raging inferno. That's gonna that's gonna change the the landscape of Kentucky uh, when it comes to cannabis. Um, so, I, any way that I can give back, you know, that's what I'm doing. You know, I. I'm a person who likes to, you know, stay behind the scenes. You know, I've been doing this work for for three years now. and A lot of people still don't know what it is that I do. And, you know, I like it that way sometimes um, just to not be in the limelight. I like to to be in the background, you know, trying to to help out as many people as I can to push them into the limelight, um, because, you know, the cannabis space, it's it's showing, you know, that it's 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 an amazing industry to be a part of. And there are more people who are starting to dial in and who are wanting to learn more and to become more involved uh, in the cannabis space. And, you know, any way that I can do that, um, you know, I definitely am um, just trying to, you know, help as many people as possible um, to be, you know, uh, multi-billion dollars. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot and it is what you is if, if you want to. And for those of my listeners that may not be familiar with both of those groups, do you want to talk a little bit about what they represent and what they work towards? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a lot. Uh, unfortunate. Um, it, it just it is what it is. And it's 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 crazy. It, it definitely is. And it's a lot. <laughs> it definitely is a lot when it comes to, you know, cannabis. It's it's going to help and it's going to hurt. It's going to be what you want to be. Um, it is what it is. It If you want to be a part of this, then you have to do it. You have to give up whatever it is that's going to cause you to to come to come back. Um, so you have to do it. You have to have that strength. Um, you have to have, you know, six or you have to have steps you know, to actually get figures. Um, it's a, it's a lot, but a lot of people don't know what it actually is and don't know where to go, um, in terms of actually being where we need this cannabis. It could be anywhere here in the state of Kentucky. Um, Kentucky is the bluegrass state, you know, I mean, the bluegrass, it it says it right Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) it's that it's that simple we have the grass um here in kentucky we have the best location um being you know where we're located uh we have the best weather we have the best soil um everything is just set up perfectly for us here in kentucky but it seems as if uh some of us specifically the legislators dropping the ball um we are falling behind um, in terms of, you know, establishing this new marketplace um, that is cannabis. Uh, we have everything here in Kentucky. We have the best location. Um, we have a fresh water source. Uh, we have everything that you can imagine. We have the limestone in our soil, um, you know, that enriches everything with magnesium and calcium. We have everything. And yet here we are still with no legal legislation. Um, as it relates to medical marijuana and recreational marijuana. Um, it's, 
um, it's sad. It's exhausting. Um, it's, it still is understandable. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about money. Um, and, you know, I can see legislators, you know, putting themselves in a position to try and capitalize the most, um, off of the money. Um, I recently uh, learned not too long ago that, um, Senator Stivers in his district, I believe there's a, um, a letter of intent for a, for a processing facility um, in his district. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not, but I read this not too long ago about that letter of intent being um, in his in his district. And Senator Stivers, he doesn't like me. <laughs> I know that for a fact. <laughs> I, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was in leadership Louisville, the Ignite program in the it was the spring of 2021. Well, Leadership Louisville was actually um, in Frankfurt a couple of weeks ago while I was there doing some lobby work. Um, and I saw a few of the individuals who were involved. And they were like, yeah, we're here. Um, you should come by and we're having a, a, a little talk. You should come by. We're in this room. So, you know, I finished my lobby work and I end up going into the room where they are. Um, and, you know, it's packed. It's, it's about 50 or 60 people. Um, and they have a few legislators in there giving giving a, a talk, answering some questions. And then shortly after I arrive, behind me arrives Senator Stivers. Um, so, you know, he starts, you know, talking um, and then he opens it up for questions. So, you know, my hand shoots up. <laughs> and, you know, instead of giving them the softball questions, I challenged them. Um, you know, I asked him a question about social equity and social economics, you know, associated with the, the history, you know, of Kentucky. Um, being that there's no other state um, in the country that has the history and that has a storyline that Kentucky has um, as it relates to cannabis. Um, and I put him on the spot and he turned cherry red. I'm talking about he was extremely red um, and he did not answer my question about social equity or social economics. He George Bush, basically. Um, he ran around the actual topic. But, you know, that's what I'm in the business of is, is trying to challenge these legislators as much as possible. Um, a lot of people, um, don't realize it, but when you, um, testify or you give testimony or you take a stance, the root word of, of testimony and testifying is testicles. So you would have to put your testicles online when you, when you speak, when you talk, um, when you, you know, give testimony. So that has to be put on the line to make sure that you are telling the truth, because if you're not, then you're risking your manhood. Um, and unfortunately, a, a lot of politicians, you know, they don't have that viewpoint. Um, they will, you know, say one thing behind closed doors. And then uh, when it comes to the public, it's something that's that's totally different. And you know, I've been trying my best over the last three years to try and get a meeting with um, Senator Stivers, Senator Thayer, um, who else was it? Senator Mike Wilson. Um, but, you know, it's always the, the same response. Oh, the, the calendar's full. Uh, we don't have any space for you. And it's just like, I think that's because I'm the, the black guy who's the, the cannabis advocate um, who's going to challenge you guys' thinking and is going to make you uncomfortable. But, you know, that's what we have to do because nothing happens and there's no growth that's associated with comfort zones. You got to step outside of those comfort zones and where you're comfortable to actually, you know, achieve, you know, your true, your true height, um, to achieve, you know, your, your greatest accomplishments, you have to step outside of that comfort zone. And, you know, that's why I try and preach to these legislators that we can't keep doing things the way we've been doing them because 
I mean, the way things have been done is it's it's been failing the people of this Commonwealth. Um, and, you know, that, that's that's a, a crazy statement um, when you talk about, you know, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, because it seems like that wealth, it is not common. And in particular, here's a brand new industry um, where the wealth can be common. Um, but for some reason, the way things are trending, it's going to be business as usual, where that wealth is only relegated to a few individuals, unfortunately. But in the business of trying to change that, I um, appreciate you and your podcast, you know, on being able to highlight, you know, a lot of these issues in this topic, you know, around cannabis, because this is something that a lot of people don't know. Um, you know, a lot of people are still believing in belief. Um, and they don't know what actually is at hand and what's ahead of us and what the actual possibilities are um, for a legal cannabis marketplace. Like there is so much potential um, that we have literally in the palm of our hand. So it seems as if it's, it's up to the people, you know, it's up to the citizens of the state. It's up to us residents to actually, you know, call and start to harass these legislators and let them know, you know, there's no more straddling the fence. You can't straddle the fence no more. You're either for it or you're against it. If you're against it, great. If you're for it, we want to know why. So, you know, that's why, you know, I got to give a, a huge salute to Matthew and Lauren with uh, Kentucky Normal, um, Patrick and Jen with the Kentucky Cannabis Freedom Coalition, um, you know, Kristen and, and Julie with Kentucky Moms, you know, with medical marijuana. Um, you have Kongu with the ACLU. Um, who else? We have Raul with the uh, NCAA, or NAACP. And there's so many other organizations out there, um, you know, where we are in a place where we have formed a coalition to try and bring all of this stuff to the forefront, where we're able to establish uh, a foundation for this actual marketplace. And, you know, that's why we all encourage people to start contacting their legislators because, you know, enough is enough. Um, we are at a point, you know, in time where talk is cheap and it's always been cheap. And it seems like that's all politicians have been doing is talking um, and there is no action. Um, so, you know, that's what we implore people to do is start to call your legislators, start to put their feet to the fire. Um, so we can get this ball moving. We've made a, a lot of headway. We thought we made a, a huge stride today by having a, a Senate committee hearing. <laughs> Got my hopes up this whole weekend. I'm super excited. It's like, yes, you know, we've made it this far. The Senate has never been here before. This is this is the first, but yet it wasn't on the agenda um, yesterday. So it's just like, dang, another setback. But, you know, we're still here. We're still standing. You know, we're still fighting. Um, and, you know, I just want to keep saying it, encouraging people, please contact your legislators. Um, look it up on, on the Internet. It's a quick Google search for you to find out who your legislator is. Um, it's, it's not too hard. There, there's numbers out there that you can call um, to get the legislators on the phone. I mean, it's just a matter of how much are we willing to put forward to move this issue further and then put it in a place where we can begin to build this industry based off of our specifications because the legislators don't know. They don't know what we're doing, what they're doing, but there are individuals who know exactly what's needed and who know exactly what needs to be avoided um, in terms of setting up the, this cannabis marketplace in the, the bread basket of cannabis, you know, which is the, the bluegrass state of Kentucky. And, you know, that, that pun kind of is intended, 
you know, being that, you know, you have the bluegrass podcast and here we are in the bluegrass state, uh, kind of uh, is coming full circle. Absolutely. I tell people, I'm like, we're going to put the grass back in the bluegrass. It's going to happen. <laughs> and-
That and I'm is. glad you're talking about so many groups that are activating and that there are avenues for people to get involved because sometimes I think people can slow down or get a little depressed about what might happen. But I like that you're talking about pushing for the things that we want to happen right, and right. talking about those social equity programs. I would love to get your thoughts on the way that we need not just to frame that, but the actual things we need to do. Because I think that one of the failures of some of the other states has been that the aid or the help or whatever these programs are supposed to be don't actually make it to the people that need it or don't actually end up going to businesses that do support minorities in different ways. When it comes to social equity and social economics, there's a lot of talk. Um there's a whole lot of talk. I know there are a few states, namely um, Illinois, um, New York, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, um, California, um, Washington, who all have um, social equity provisions written into into their legislation. But even though it, it's written into the legislation, it, it oftentimes it doesn't come to fruition um, due to people's lack of commitment, you know, in, in, in the high places um, that are in a position to actually see these, these, these measures actually go through. So I'm um, going back to, to what I stated earlier about the history of Kentucky um, as it relates to um, cannabis. Um, Kentucky, once upon a time, was the largest producer of hemp and illegal marijuana. Um, through the, the 17, 1800s, early 1900s, uh, Kentucky produced, I believe it was 90% of the nation's hemp supply. Um, a lot of that hemp through that time, you know, along with slavery, the hemp was used to make the bags that housed, you know, the cotton or the ropes that, that tied down the tobacco. Um, this was all done here in Kentucky. And even though Kentucky was not a plantation state, there were slaves here in the numbers, you know, over hundreds of thousands of slaves. Um, and when it comes to hemp, they actually referred to hemp or hemp was referred to um, here in Kentucky as the nigger crop. You know, that's what they called it because it was done on the back of the black man and the black family where hemp was dirty. It was very laborious. Um, it took a lot for it to be, you know, processed into the various means in which it could be processed into. And that was all done by the black man um, here in the state and the black family here in the state. So when it comes to social equity, there is no other story um, that has this gravity associated with it. Um, when it comes to black folks, and I like to use um, black folks specifically, because this is our story um, here in the state of Kentucky. No one else has this story. Um, even though, you know, we use the term minority, um, when it comes to legislation, um, when it comes to legalese, that term minority can be, it's very broad and it's very ambiguous. Um, you know, that's how things operate in legalese. But more specifically, when it comes to black folks, nobody else has this story. Um, and that's what it is that I'm advocating for when it comes to social equity is ensuring that, you know, a certain percentage um, of the actual alloc uh, 
applications are actually allocated for black people, for specifically for black folks um, here in the state of Kentucky, because a lot of the people who live here in Kentucky here were born and raised here. Their parents were born and raised here. Their grandparents were born and raised here. So there are a lot of direct ties associated back to 1850 with Black folks who have direct ties to that family lineage that actually grew the 90% of him um, that was grown here in Kentucky. So I would like to see a certain allocation of the total licenses, whether that be for a dispensary or retail, for processing, for cultivation, for um, testing, um, for delivery, um, how they currently have it, how, how they currently have it written through that entire supply chain. I want um, a certain percentage of those applications to be allocated for black folks. And then on top of that, there needs to be a subsidies that's associated with those applications that have been allocated to black folks, um, because that's as I said, one of the major barriers of entry into the cannabis space is capital. Um, and Black folks and minorities, we don't have access to that type of capital. Um, a lot of people don't realize is when you set up a, a dispensary or a retail location, uh, you know, it typically costs anywhere from $1.5 to $3 million um, to actually set up, get your license, get your real estate, um, get all the things that you need, retrofit um, through construction, uh, your building. Um, you know, that, that's a lot of money. And then on top of that, you won't see a return on your investment until around, you know, three to five years when you start to really see that money coming back in. Um, so those subsidies associated with the percentage of applications is something that I'm fighting for in terms of social economics um, here in the state of Kentucky, um, because as I always say, a, a fraction of a percentage of multi-billions is multi-millions. Um, and that right there is generational wealth. And that can change generations of Black folks who have been indiscriminately punished by the war on drugs um, here in the state of Kentucky, um, where there's only what about 300 and I think around 320,000 Black folks um, in the state of Kentucky. But specifically here in Louisville, we're 10 times more likely um, to be arrested and charged with a cannabis crime. Like, how is that actually possible? Ten times more likely when there's only 320,000 of us. Or we make up less than 15 percent, you know, of the state's population. Like, how is that actually possible? Um, but we know how it's possible because criminal justice associated with cannabis was built um, against our best interests. It was built to, you know, place us in a position where we can't prosper. And, you know, that's what social equity is there for. It's there to to change that narrative, to, to author a new storyline um, for people who look like me, you know, for, you know, black folks, for melanated people um, who have a direct connection um, to the history of Kentucky as it relates to cannabis. You know, it's it's of the utmost importance in my eyes um, that we are written into this legislation, because one thing that I've learned in politics is nothing happens retroactively. If you don't have a seat at the table um, when plans are being solidified for legalization, um, they're going to forget about you. Um, and once they forget about you, they don't go back and rewrite legislation to consider you. Um, that's the the belly of the nature of the beast. You know, that's how politics are currently set up. 
Um, you know, so that's why I've been fighting this fight for the last three years, you know, through minorities for medical marijuana, um, specifically for black folks here in the state of Kentucky. Um, because as I said, we are in a unique place um, here in Kentucky um, with the history that we have here. Um, a lot of people don't know it. Um, you know, when I travel and go to the various conferences and tell people about the history of Kentucky, nobody knows it. This is like something that's brand new to people. It's like, are you serious? That can't be. But it is it is be it's it's the actual truth. And that's why, you know, it's of the utmost importance that social equity in my eyes is is included in all current and future cannabis legislation. This is something I'd like to get your thoughts on. It doesn't fall under the traditional social equity we've seen in other states. But the idea of limiting the amount of licenses and cutting out small producers, because like you said, it can be incredibly difficult to raise one, two, three million dollars in capital. But if you have maybe an acre direct to consumer and you open up the licenses, you provide the most value for communities and the most value to the business as well. Like right. not just saying you get two out of the 15, but saying that anyone should be able to make a profit and a living off of this without having to go to someone else for permission. In addition to, like you said, direct help, direct grants, help people with real money. Yeah, that's kind of um, was the Oklahoma model where any and everyone could apply and there wasn't a, a cap on the actual licenses. Um, currently, as, as it's written in the legislation, they kind of use that same language um, where they use the, the, the term at least. So they have it written in the legislation where there's going to be at least 25 um, dispensaries. There's going to be at least um, 15 cultivation facilities. There's going to be at least um, five processing facilities. Um, so they do have that uh, currently written into the legislation where there necessarily isn't a cap. Um, but then, you know, that happens, you know, with 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 small time business, you know, with 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 the the small um, people who aren't these huge, you know, multi-state operators that have you know facilities in, in several states. You know, we still are, you know, taking a, a back seat, even though we haven't even legalized yet, due to the fact that how capital intensive the space is. Um, it. It's a, a lot that that goes into this whole entire thing. You know, it's um, <laughs> it's somewhat of a quagmire, um, you know, at this stage of the game, um, because there are so many unknowns um, that are associated with it. And it's it's easy to, you know, write legislation, um, but it's very difficult, difficult to implement that legislation. So, you know, even if we get social equity written in to. Um, the legislation, it's it's going to be difficult to actually get it implemented, um, especially, you know, with the wishes that I have, you know, that are associated with subsidies associated with that. Um, I know I'm asking for a lot, but you have to ask for, you know, for the moon. And, you know, I expect it, but I know that it's probably not going to happen, but I'm still going to ask for more um, than, than, than what is actually, you know, possible for actually happening, you know, even though, you know, you got to be a realist in this situation, but... Um, when it when it comes to the the licenses, they do have it written that you have to be a resident of the state um, for, I believe, it's three years 
Um, so that is kind of, you know, insulating, you know, our, our marketplace by making sure that, you know, individuals are residents of the state. Um, but even adding home growth, which, as you said, having, you know, direct to consumer, um, if you're able to, you know, grow your own or if you're able to have an acre of land um, that you you grow, you know, specific seeds or you, you grow the, the root. Um, whatever the case may be, that is something that's not not talked about. I mean, as of yet, um, it hasn't been talked about, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to come up in future conversations. Um, but there still is a lot of growth that can happen um, in terms of the legislation um, that that they currently have. And that was in the, the Senate um, Licensing and Occupations Committee. Even though, you know, the Republicans pound on their chests as being the, the most restrictive legislation in the country, um, we can definitely move from that restriction um, and move towards, you know, more prosperity um, in the cannabis space if the legislators simply broaden their outlook. Absolutely. And I think going back to those like small farms and direct to consumer, it also allows people that entry point, right? for the cost of making sure that your soil's okay and the cost of a few seeds, it allows you to get up and going, creates the greatest amount of value so people are getting the most money. And it also means it's going to be cheapest for your community. So the people who really need that help are also going to be able to benefit as well. The What you're talking about, it seems as if it's common sense. <laughs> I, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, that is... That is, you know, that's it right there. What you what you just described, like that is so streamlined that, you know, helps out all parties involved. But for some odd reason, you know, if we were to give that proposal to to the legislator, they're going to muddy it. They're going to find something wrong with it and they're going to try and change it, even though, you know, what you just explained. I mean, that is an amazing business model for a community you know, for, a, you know, a small community to even have that that business model, because that's going to help all of the residents of that community, you know, but I'm trying my best, you know, being that I've been in this for three years, man, try my best not to get frustrated. I'm trying not to get angry um, because it, it seems like for for the last what's about to be four years, it's three and a half years, it'd be four years in, in September, man, it seems like we've just been treading water. I'm just been in, in in the same place and haven't made made much progress. Um, but you know that that's what it is. You know when it comes to politics, you know we try and pre present you know all of these ideas to these legislators, but yet it always seems to fall on deaf ears, unfortunately. But that doesn't mean that we give up. I mean because that's that's not what we do. We're in this business to fight. Um, we're in this business to see real results. Um, and we're here to see people prosper, you know, not only corporations and businesses, but we want to see the people of Kentucky prosper as well, because there certainly is that potential um, that's associated with us in terms of the ideas that we have um, in terms of implementing those ideas into the marketplace um, here in Kentucky. But just got to keep up the good fight, man. Just got to keep keep trugging along and. You know, tell people to throw me another life preserver, even though I've been treading water. <laughs> We've been treading water in the same spot, you know, on the deep end, <laughs> trying to trying to get ourselves out of it. Oh, yeah. Well, like you said, get angry, but then activate. Right. Turn it into action. Don't just let it stew. Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's that's definitely 
where we are in this fight. Um, we made some headway by it actually being assigned to a Senate committee. Um, you know, there's only what, 10 days left in the session. So hopefully, you know, it'll come up in a committee in that committee hearing, you know, hopefully next week, um, because we are running out of time. It's already, what, this is the second week of March already. The session's over on March 30th. And it's like, dang, this year's uh, legislative session has flown by, but hopefully this won't be another year that's in vain where nothing uh, gets accomplished. Um, I plan on still going to the Frankfurt a couple more days here out the month to go do some lobby work, um, talk with as many legislators as I can to, to try and move this thing forward. But, you know, this isn't an individual pursuit. As I said, this has to be something that's collective. And we all have to be involved in this if we want to really see it move forward um, and really, you know, become all that it can be. We have to, you know, contact and continue to to put that pressure on these legislators, because, you know, if we don't, you know, they're just going to create whatever it is that they want to. And currently, as the legislation stands, what they've created is, you know, a lack of better words, a piece of shit. <laughs> it, it's going it, to to me, it's going to fail on its face. Um, the, the current medical um, bill that's being presented due to the fact, you know, that there's only what five or six qualifying conditions. There's no flower. Um, there's no home grow. Um, there is no real growth for the actual space. You know, it's it's something that that it's hard for me to fathom how the legislators think like this. Um, but, you know, that that's a part of it. And that's why we have to start to harass them. Um, and, you know, I harass them by going to Frankfurt um, once a week trying to, you know, talk. But what you guys can do if you do hear this um, this podcast, call 1-800-372-7181. Um, that's a number where you can contact uh, legislators to let them know that you do support um, medical marijuana. Um, specifically, even though the bill is not too much of anything, House Bill 40 or Senate Bill 47, and I believe it's House Bill 106 or 107, I believe that's being introduced by um, Representative Graham. So there's a, a Senate uh, medical bill and then there's also a House uh, medical bill, which are pretty much the, the same thing, but they're just introducing it on both sides of the House. Um, so please, people call as many times as you can, um, as many, you know, harass them. That's all I got to say, because this is, it's getting to the point where it's, it's, it's past time. We have to, we have to do this now because the longer we wait, um, the longer patients like myself, our patients, you know, who are cancer survivors or who have, you know, lupus or multiple sclerosis, um, who have anxiety, um, we're going to be, um, you know, left in the wind, um, just there, you know, waiting um, for this this marketplace to to open up, and that's something else that we have to be mindful of. Is once the say if the legislation does pass this session before March the thirtieth, there still is an implementation phase, um, which usually takes um, anywhere from a year and a half to three years, um, in terms of officially opening up the the marketplace. So that's why it's of the utmost that if you want to enter the cannabis space, that you have to be proactive right now as of today, um, because if they do legalize this session, then we're about two years out, you know, from the, the marketplace being open. 
Um, so this isn't the time, you know, to, to sit back. Um, you have to, you know, sit up and take steps to, you know, position yourself in, in a space where, you know, you can provide um, for individuals and then also provide for yourself. Absolutely love that you dropped the legislative hotline. I was going to do that at the end of this episode since we were talking about activation so much, but you just did it for me. And before <laughs> I let you go, do you want to talk about some of the ways that maybe people can get involved either with Minorities for Medical Marijuana, Kentucky Hemp Association, where they can find that, as well as your realty group? Uh, sure. You know, everything is online. Um Nowadays, so if you wanted to go to um, minorities or m for mmunited.org, um, you can find out all the information with m for mm including joining um, our organization. Um, we do have a tiered system of membership um, that starts off being a, a free member. Um, and then, of course, that, that tier um, does increase and does add a, a price associated with it um, in terms of the benefits. Um, that you will have access to um, in the cannabis space. Um, so that is m4mmunited.org. Um, and then also for the uh, Kentucky Hemp Association, you can uh, become registered as a member in the Kentucky Hemp Association by visiting um, the website. Right now, currently, as it stands, there are about um, 90 um, individuals and businesses um, who are associated with the Kentucky Hemp Association, um, which is a statewide um, hemp um, trade organization. And that website is kyhempassociation.org. Um, and to be a part of the Kentucky Hemp Association, I believe there's a $100 fee or $100 dues um, that you would have to pay to get access um, to the actual Hemp Association. Um, they're actually we're actually planning right now to have the uh, the Kentucky Hemp Association conference um, in the month of May, um, which is right around the corner, as if you can't believe it. Um, that is going to be May. I believe it is May the 14th and 15th, I believe, is the weekend and the weekend of May 13th. That's what it is. The weekend of May 13th. Um, we're going to have the uh, the Kentucky Hemp Association annual conference that'll be here um, in the city of Louisville. Um, by going to the website, you can get access um, to to all of that information. And that it, again is a kyhempassociation.org. And then when it comes to um, my my real estate group, uh, the Cannamercial Realty Group, um, we can be found at Cannamercial um, Realty. Dot com and that is spelled C-A-N-N-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-L Realty R-E-A-L-T-Y.com. So that's going to give you all the ins and outs of cannabis real estate. Um, so I've done you know hours and hours of research to see what exactly is needed. Um, to enter the cannabis supply chain when it comes to real estate. So by visiting um, our website, you'll be able to access all of that information. And then if you have any questions, um, feel free uh, to um, reach out to me. All my information is provided um, on the website. Uh, again, that's C-A-N-N-A-M-E-R-C-I-A-L-R-E-A. -N -N -E 
K-A-N-N-A-M-M-E-R-C-I-A-L-T-Y.com. And that's Canamercialrealty.com. Um, so the Canamercial Realty Group, that is my, my pride and joy right now. Um, in terms of me, you know, establishing and, and positioning myself in, in the cannabis marketplace here in Kentucky, I want to help individuals curate their cannabis properties, you know, starting now and into the future. Um, that's going to, you know, position you and your business in a place um, that's going to allow you to be and achieve success uh, in the cannabis market. Um, so that's kind of in essence where I stand. I have another startup that I'm working for. We're kind of still in, in the in the beginning stages of that. Um, starting to, to get the developer up and running. Uh, we already have other key pieces uh, in place. And this is for a, um, a software system. Um, it's an ERP software system, which is an enterprise resource planning. Um, so we're developing a, a cannabis software solution that's going to allow um, any size business you know, from from the small scale all the way up to the multi-state operator to officially run and streamline their entire business model um, by using um, a software system uh, that's going to allow you to really determine and really see real time um, based off of the data that's generated, you know, the real lifetime um, profits um, and your actual margins um, associated with your business. Now, that's another void um, that's currently um, in the space is, a lot of cannabis businesses aren't able to determine what their profitabilities are, and they are basing everything off of Excel spreadsheets. Um, you know, even at this stage of the game, they're still operating off of uh, spreadsheets where there's a lot of um, estimates and guesstimations um, around their business. And, you know, you can effectively and efficiently run a business, you know, based off of an assumption. Um, so that's kind of where I am in the cannabis space, you know, filling voids. You know, that's that's kind of what I see in the possibilities where the real uh, ways of being a success and actually prospering in the space is, you know, sitting down, thinking about it and, and seeing where you can insert yourself, you know, in this multi-state or this multi-billion dollar industry. Um, you know, Kentucky, um, I love Kentucky. I've lived here a majority of my life, even though my father was in the military, you know, I've traveled my whole life and I've had a passport my whole life, but you know, I've called Kentucky home, you know, at, at three different periods of my life. And both of my boys were born here. Um, so, you know, Kentucky is home to me. So um, any way that I can be of assistance to people, um, feel free to meet, reach me on uh, social media as well. Canamercial Realty Group on Facebook, um, Canamercial Realty on uh, Instagram, um, or you can find me CJ Carter on Facebook as well. Um, it's my, my personal page where you can kind of see my story. Um, see, see, you know, how things have played out for me in terms of being, you know, uh, a cannabis patient, you know, advocate as well as an entrepreneur. So, Elijah, man, I really appreciate you reaching out to me, man. I would definitely love to do this again as we continue to progress um, with this legislation. I know you're you're very um, familiar with what's going on in Frankfurt as well as I. Um, and I definitely think that we can collaborate on some things to try and get this message even out to more people. Um, to, you know, make everybody aware of what's going on um, here in Frankfurt, you know, in between those legislative walls, because a lot of people don't know or have no idea um, what's going on. Um, but I definitely appreciate you reaching out to me and, you know, extending me um, the offer to actually be on the, the Bluegrass podcast. And Well, thank you so much for coming on, CJ. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to get to meet in person. I was hoping to today, but like we said, we didn't get the chance, but 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And today would have been an epic day. I mean, we would have had the hearing, then we would have sat down in person and did this podcast. Man, that would have that would have been ideal. And I was so much looking forward to it. I was like, oh, Tuesday is gonna be awesome. I can't wait for Tuesday to get here. And then I got that news this morning. I was like, ain't that about a oh, are you serious? <laughs> but you know, and um, um, I'm sure we'll be able to, to link up and, and meet in person. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm predicting that it'll be before March 30th, before this session ends, because got my fingers, toes, my arms, my hairs, everything is crossed that these guys are going to are going to step up and, um, you know, align, you know, with the majority of Kentuckians to, to legalize the cannabis plant. Absolutely. And before I let you go, was there anything that you wanted to get out to listeners or any information you wanted to send out? Okay. Uh, yes, we are actually uh, in the process with my notice for medical marijuana. We have a national program called Safe Access. I'm currently in the process of getting everything in order to have a safe um, access seminar um, for people who are interested in getting into the the legal medical marketplace. Because you know, right now there are a lot of individuals who are being taken advantage of. Um, in terms of them not knowing, you know, what's necessary to actually enter um, the cannabis space. So please be on the lookout for that, uh, that um, safe access program that we're going to be introducing. And you can find more information on Instagram at M4MMKY. Um, that's Minorities for Medical Marijuana Kentucky um, on Instagram. Again, that's M4MMKY, um, the safe access program where we're going to offer um, safe access um, to the medical marijuana market here in Kentucky. CJ, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, Elijah. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Our song this week was Grow by Graham Good and The Painters. If you're a bluegrass country or singer-songwriter, send in your submissions. We feature one song per episode and would love to play yours. Also, did you know that our store is up and available? Grab a set of our new bluegrass banjo stickers, die-cut and made of long-lasting vinyl, so that you can help put the grass back in the bluegrass. Available on bluegrasscannabis.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we are at Bluegrass underscore Cannabis on Instagram, at Bluegrass Hemp on Facebook, at Bluegrass Cannabis on TikTok, and at Bluegrass Canna on Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe and never miss an episode wherever you listen to podcasts. We're available on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much for listening and stopping by the Bluegrass Podcast. Old-fashioned, all-natural, Kentucky Bluegrass.